Welcome to the 70s versus the 80s, my fellow pop culture babies. And if you love the song Tom Sawyer by Rush, but you always wondered why they never came out with a sequel called Huckleberry Finn, then this is the podcast for you. Hello, everybody. This is Wolfman Mike on the mic, and I can talk 70s all night. I can talk 80s all night. Please remember to wash your hands after you wipe. And as always, I am joined by Brian Bry guy, spunky Comstock guy, and in case you can't remember what Brian sounds like, he sounds a little something like this. It's like a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? You got peanut butter in my chocolate, you got chocolate in my peanut butter, it's like you got a car in my pickup truck, you got a pickup truck in my car. Don't worry about that, folks, he always sounds like that, but that's a good point. We are talking about life on the highway today, and we're asking the important questions. Did the 1970s do it better with the station wagon? Or did the 1980s do it better with the minivan? Or how about the 1990s with You Know Me, SUV? You know, the 1990s is known for some great songs, but that's not one of them. So after that quick discussion about those vehicles and their place in our pop culture, we got another quick segment of Hot Yacht Rock or Yuck Not Rock. Then finally today, we end it with a little tongue-in-cheek 1870s versus 1880s Mark Twain's Tom Sawyer versus Huckleberry Finn. But let's get into it right now. Shall we hit the highways, folks? Today's Tom Sawyer, he gets high on you. And the space he invades, he gets by on you. So here at the 70s versus 80s podcast, we talk a lot about these great movies that we would have went and seen in the 70s and the 80s, great concerts we could have seen in the 70s and 80s, even sporting events we've talked about, going to friends' houses to play yard games we've talked about. But what we haven't talked about is how did you get there? How did your family get you to these events? Yeah, and I think it's, I think it really breaks down, you know, 70s, 80s style. I mean, 70s, I think, were kind of dominated by the station wagon. And then the minivan was pretty much invented, what, 84, early 80s. And then the 90s, our third favorite decade, was all SUVs. So I was thinking it would be kind of fun if we compare them and see which decade did it best or... Yeah, absolutely. So in the 70s, like you said, there were station wagons, big station wagons. Um, you could have eight, nine passengers in them if you had a bench front seat, and then it had the, the way back seat, and a, a lot of them, um, the way back seat actually faced backwards. Why? <laughs> I don't know, but it did. Because we had a 79, I think my parents had a 79 Chevy Caprice wagon that it, it faced backwards. So you can see where you've been, Brian. That's why they well, face backwards. <laughs> yeah, but at nine, did you really need to see where you've been? You're more worried about where you're going. <laughs> it 
And what was the seatbelt situation in those in all those seats? <laughs> yeah, you um, you you tucked them into the seat back so you wouldn't sit on them because they would hurt your little never you know, eight year old butt. Yeah, and you would never find them again. They were they were buried in that crevasse of that seat. Yeah. So with the excess of the seventies and these cars getting bigger and bigger, I looked and Pontiac, which a brand is no longer you know. GM kind of folded them here, you know, I don't know if they all probably been eight, 10, 12 years already, had the Grand Safari station wagon that rode on a 127-inch wheelbase. It was 231.3 inches long. It weighed 5,300 pounds. And from the uh, front seats, like if you had all the seats, if they could fold them down or from there, you had 106 cubic feet of cargo. How was it on gas mileage, Brian? Oh, uh, you know what? In the in the research I did, they did not list the gas mileage. So I'm guessing one gallon per mile. <laughs> <laughs> now the funny thing is, is we think of SUVs. We're gonna get to those in the '90s. The modern SUV kind of started in the '90s, but they did have some of the you know name plates that we have now were were available then, like the Chevy Suburban. But in Chevy's advertising, they didn't call it a SUV. They called it a super wagon. Um, and that also was a big monster. It uh, was 129.9-inch wheelbase. It was 215.7 inches in length, uh, 4,850 pounds. So the Suburban, think of the big Suburbans you see now, um, was almost 500 pounds lighter than a station wagon. That's how big those how station wagons were. And it would have 144 cubic feet if you from the um, behind the front seats to the back. So you could fit some stuff, but they were big. They were they were based on truck platforms. They didn't ride as well. If you were going to move people, you would get the station wagon. Um, if you can, I would see the suburbans and stuff like that that were people that were lived on farms or contractors that needed to haul stuff inside or even have some towing capability. But you know, I was in a family that had a station wagon in the seventies. Do you know how station wagon got the name station wagon? I don't because I know in um, they kind of started out in the thirties. Um, you know, they hit their apex in the seventies, but in the thirties they kind of used them. People would bring their luggage to the train station. So they would take a wagon to the train station, station wagon. So yeah. Okay. Well, and in in England they call them estate wagons, which I guess you're leaving your estate to, you know, go to I don't know, go fox hunting or whatever you do in England. <laughs> Sounds classy, estate wagons. Of course, with uh, some fuel crises in the in the seventies and the rising cost of gasoline, in addition to. What kind of garage are you going to put a 231-inch long station wagon in or a the, the height of the a Suburban in? They didn't fit in garages very easily. Oh, I was just going to say, let's think of the size of the garages back in the 1970s and 80s. How many people had a three-stall garage back then? Yeah, and, and you didn't have the 18-foot-wide doors or whatever. It was, they were, you could barely fit a the big, big cars in them. So, and there had been, the Volkswagen had their, 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 you know, Grateful Dead following hippie van, but it was not the most, you know, <laughs> convenient to use. And with the, the way the, with the engine in the back, it was dangerous. You got into a front end crash. 
Um, part of what turned Chrysler around from their their struggles in the late seventies was they took and their their you know compact or their midsize car platform, and basically instead of having it be like a couple boxes stacked and then a smaller box stacked on top of each other, it was like three big boxes stacked on top of each other, and they made a minivan, which could fit into a garage because the the first minivan that came out was a 112-inch wheelbase and was 175.9 inches long. So it's like almost four feet shorter than the Grand Safari Station Wagon or 76 Chevy Suburban. Wow. But it still had almost 100 cubic feet of room behind the front passenger seats, which is almost as much as that monstrosity Grand Safari, the Pontiac Station Wagon. And it weighed... uh, under 3,000 pounds, so obviously it would be more fuel efficient. Uh, then they started making bigger ones to now where, like, I will admit that I have a, a minivan. Um, when the, We're going to talk about the 90s and how SUVs became cool. Uh, people didn't want to admit that they were now parents, right, and had kids and had the need for a minivan. So if you had a sport utility vehicle, you were still cool, and then those, you know, you know, soccer moms had the had the minivans, and and I was kind of got to where a a, yeah. a woman doesn't like a minivan because of what it says about her, and a guy doesn't mind a minivan because it's like a Swiss Army knife because it can haul stuff and it can haul people. I mean, I've had one day I'll carry seven people in my van, the next day I can carry a four by eight sheet sheet of plywood. Um, yeah, I yeah, you're right. Everybody makes fun of the minivan. The minivan's the you know the joke. But uh, even when you're a kid, and you get they had one of the greatest inventions ever, the sliding door. You felt like you were loading, you make that noise, that <laughs> felt like you're loading into the space shuttle or something when you went through those. Minivans later, they came out, they were the first ones to have the flip down, like your minivan has the flip down video screens. And that was just so cool before we all had our little, our little tablet screens. But back then it was just like, wow, we're in the future now with these flip down screens and... You could be watching something totally different than the driver was up front. Yeah, I always like to joke. I like to show up at Menards and watch people struggle to put into their SUVs what I can easily fit into my minivan. Um, but we're going to talk. Yeah, let's, yeah. So the the eighties was big with the with the minivans, but then it just as soon as it kind of blossomed, it 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 was taken over by the rise of the like the sport utility vehicle, which is a smaller. You know, truck-based off-road platform, but uh, the ones that got real popular are smaller than the Suburbans, although you still do have your your big full-size ones. Um, but more of the kind of like a five-passenger sport utility vehicle with, instead of having a trunk, it's just, it's, it's you know, the, the, the roof line goes all the way back to there's like a, a D-pillar, and then you have more cargo space. And then now there are a lot of them are, are all wheel drive, or even I think my parents have one of them that's just front wheel drive. So it's basically I always call them a minivan without sliding doors. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, they're just they're higher up. You know, we, we live in Minnesota, and I know Minnesota and Colorado are the two leading SUV selling markets in the world, just because we do get three feet of snow sometimes. So that it is nice to have that higher clearance. But even in Minnesota, which is you know, the snowiest, coldiest uh, part of the United States. I I have an SUV. Well, actually, I have a crossover, so I'm, a, I'm a more of a wimp than that even. But um, I, I use it like two two days out of the year where I'm super happy to have it. The other 363 days of the year, it's just 
more vehicle than I need, I think. <laughs> well, and that's something that the people are buying them, right? And it's not just because they all think they're only cool if they have an SUV or a crossover. A uh, part of it is is the step-in height. When you get older, it's not so much fun to sit like have to sit down into a car and then get back out or have to crawl up into a bigger truck. Most SUVs are at the height where you basically open the door and you just kind of slide right in and can sit down without having to climb up into it or climb down into it. You know when when you notice how much higher an SUV is if if you have a child seats. Those things you put your kid in there and they weigh more than a raccoon. It's just like there's it's like you're carrying two bowling balls when you have your kid in that child seat. And if you have my old Mazda, I threw my back out like three times because you have to you have to squinch way down to get that thing locked in there. And if you have an SUV, it's like a different ball game. You're just all up in your <laughs> better height. It's just like I did not never yeah. threw my back out in an SUV putting the kid in. Yeah. Yeah, my kids were two and four when I got we got our first minivan, and the, putting the car seats in it or, or then booster seats was just like a dream. Yeah. And the sliding doors on both sides, it's, yeah. That should be their big selling point. Nobody ever talks about it. So, Are we going to vote on which decade did it best? Or? We'll vote on which decade did, did it best, but just one last fact is the last American station wagon, according to the research I had, was the 1996 Chevy Caprice and Buick Roadmaster was kind of the end of the line and and lost out to the SUV craze. Um, yeah. Like you said, it's really taken off in the 90s or the minivan craze. I think Dodge had a Magnum, which was not necessarily the prototypical station wagon. And you can still get foreign cars. Um, you can still get... Subaru Outback. And yeah. Saab. Yep. Saab still make one? Um, yeah, they had an all-wheel drive one. Saab even still a, c- a company, or is it? No, <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was the last. Yeah, yeah. Volvo, Volvo's. A, I don't know if they Mercedes make might and um, so seventies versus eighties is our focus, uh, and we're gonna throw the nineties because we're nineties adjacent. So which decade did do it better? The seventies with the with the big station wagons, the eighties with the minivans, or the nineties with the uh, the the rise of the sport utility. I'm going to recuse myself being that I've owned now two minivans. I probably put 340,000 miles on them. And I, they're a Swiss army knife. Um, you know, they're not the perfect vehicle, but they do do what you need it to do in most cases. And I'm still a child at heart. I'll turn off the traction control and do little burnouts in, in my minivan. So I can feel like I'm a big <laughs> macho man. Actually, it's just like I said, I'm a child at heart, uh, immature oh. child at heart. Okay, so we get kind of made fun of from being from Minnesota. When you do those burnouts, do you say uh, whipping shitties or making donuts? What do you say? It's it's whipping shitties. It always has been. It always will be. I learned whipping shitties in like 78 or 79. Uh, my dad took us with him to work, and the parking lots were empty, and it had lightly snowed, and I, we had he had a little bit of a drive car, and we were just out there whipping shitties. And so if you tell your you know, eight-year-old, that you're whipping shitties, and that's that's definitely what the name is. <laughs> All right, Brian. So you used a very logical. You made, you stated a great case for the minivan. Um, I'm going to throw that. I'm going to throw hazard to the wind, and I'm going to go. I'm going to vote uh, station wagon, just because being a child of the '70s, I spent so much time in the back rolling around. We weren't seat belted in. We we weren't even in seats. We were just we were just on that back deck, just rolling around like uh, like 
like were groceries in the back just bouncing around wherever every time we went around a corner and i'll never get those memories i think the station wagon's the best to go to a drive-in movie with because you can just park backwards and look out the back so i'm going voting station wagon you went right. minivan i'm just glad neither one of us voted suv because yeah. i because that's there. not doing anybody any good that's that's today's vehicle so yeah, that's that's not nostalgic at all. Um, you could sway me to the '70s with the station wagons because a lot of your said the fun memories are are with your neighbors going in a station wagon to, you know, a high school football game or going to the movies or you know all going to the park together, and so nostalgia wise, the '70s and the station wagons win, uh, but utility and function wise, Swiss Army knife of a minivan wins. And then I was just gonna. Before we go here, I was just going to bring in a surprise category I didn't I didn't plan with you. But what do you think about the El Camino? Because I think that's pretty badass. <laughs> okay. El Camino, um, Dodge did the Rampage. Um, I think, wasn't there like a Subaru Brat? Jeep with the Gladiator now is kind of doing something along those lines where it's like a Wrangler with a pickup truck bed. And... In concept, fantastic idea, right? It's it's like it's like a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? You got peanut butter in my chocolate, you got chocolate in my peanut butter. It's like you got a car in my pickup truck, you got a pickup truck in my car. But like <laughs> some of those things, when you're out in the real world, when you have uh, uh, it's half this, half that, it's half-assed at both things, and it ends up not being any better than just having um, one one vehicle and just making it work. Yeah. Okay, technically what you're saying may be true, Brian, but I mean, if you have your full mullet going in the wind, you got the windows rolled down and your El Camino, uh, you're, you're blasting Steve Miller band like uh, Homer Simpson when he left high school. I mean, does anything else look more badass than that? I mean, I, I just think they look badass. You should have uh, brought up Billy Squire to throw back to a recent episode. Okay, well, Billy Squire blasting his three songs that we all know by heart, but nobody knows it's Billy Squire. <laughs> As someone who's who's um, mullet challenged and now just hair challenged, um, I I don't understand what you're saying about mullet and hair and gl- glorious hey, flowing not hair. Not having any hair never stopped David Crosby from having a mullet. Let's let's face it. <laughs> All right, all right, Brian, you so win. We, we were in some. Yeah, we better get out of here. We we're talking so much controversy here. That, that was a very controversial subject. Um, I, I liked uh, station wagons. You liked minivans. But neither one of us uh, liked the SUVs. I think that's the most important thing. So, even though I drive one today. So. I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old Okay, folks, when you hear that smooth yacht rock in the background, then you know it's time for another episode of Hot Yacht Rock versus Yuck Not Rock. It's waiting there for you. So, Brian, here's a segment we haven't done in a long time. It's called Is It Hot Yacht Rock or Is It Yuck Not Rock? And not just spelled like N A U G T H. But uh, <laughs> just to rhyme with yacht. Um, Dreadnought. <laughs> so, we haven't done this in a long time. So this is kind of where we both uh, introduce a Yacht Rock song, and then we try to see if we if the other person likes it. So I'll have you go first, Brian. What did you bring us today for your Yacht Rock selection? Yeah, absolutely. So sticking, my first Yacht Rock selection was uh, Southern Cross, Crosby, Stills, and Nash. So I'm sticking with kind of a nautical or uh, island theme here. And so mine is Thunder Island 
by Jay Ferguson. Uh, it was released in late 1977, and it peaked on the charts in uh, the week of April 1st of 1978, so peak beginning of the Yacht Rock uh, era. And so what do you remember about Thunder Island from Jay Ferguson? Thunder Island. Um, yeah, I just remember he's one of those ones where like you'd hear the song as like, I have no idea who sings that. No idea. But you recognize it in a heartbeat. You recognize it in a heartbeat, kind of like we were talking about Billy Squire last episode. Everybody knows the song. I just had no idea who sang it. Thunder Island. It just, it goes down. It's what does what Yacht Rock's supposed to do. It goes down easy. It's an earworm. It, you can remember it. it. It sticks in your head after you hear it. It just, it goes down real easy with, you know, it's, it's like comfort food. It's like, yeah, it's the pina colada of drinks as opposed to like uh, a single, you know, malt bourbon or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good selection. I would definitely, it's, it's yacht, it's the most, it's really a yachty, yacht rock song. Yada yada yada. Joe Walsh on guitar, so Joe Walsh. Um, and it shows up in some other Yacht Rocky type uh, settings as well. Oh, yeah, now that you mentioned that, I can hear his guitar. I'm surprised I never realized that. Before. Yeah, you don't realize it until you put the name to it. Hmm. All right, so good selection. Like, I think it was in the uh, Anchorman sequel, and I think it was in Breaking Bad. I think it's even in a, a Family Guy episode, so it's showing up in, in, in pop culture even even recently. That helps you when it helps you be hot yacht rock when you're when you're still showing up 25 years later and you're not forgotten to the you know you're not in the 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 the, the, the you know morass of uh, the bad the the yuck not rock. <laughs> All right, perfect selection. So for my selection today, Brian. Um, you know, it's actually, I have played this song on the podcast before. When we came in on episode number one, uh, you weren't even on that episode yet, Brian, but I led off uh, episode number one playing this song in the background, and it is Brandy, You're a Fine Girl. And I'm just going to say, this is my favorite Yacht Rock song of all time. It is from, do you remember who who sing, sang it, Brian? I don't remember who sang it, um, but I definitely know the song. Come on, Brian. How can you not remember Looking Glass? Oh, and it's it's from the <laughs> yeah. album Looking Glass. So, I, they had the nautical name to them, which kind of fits in great. And it's from 1972, off the like I said, it's off the album Looking Glass. And the reason I selected it is because I think it has the, the my favorite Yacht Rock lyrics ever, where he, he explains, it's the sailor explaining to his girlfriend why he can't be with her. And of course he can't be with her because his, his life, his love, his lady is the sea. So... <laughs> I mean, what? I mean, you cannot beat those lyrics. You know, like uh, when my girlfriend wants to do something, I say, you know, I, I can't right now because my my life, my love, my lady is is editing and podcast. So I, I would love to, but you know, so that it's just corny lyrics, but I just they hit so hard, I just love it, and so that's kind of what my selection. Um, Jimmy Buffett's kind of like yacht rock, uh, either adjacent or or a, just a separate whole entity unto himself, but the 
the lyrics, the, 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 the being drawn to the sea, right? That's a very powerful thing for some people. And then editing a podcast is also a very powerful thing for, for people. It's, it's like you need a, might need a, might need a 12 step intervention. Um, however, you make us sound good on this podcast, so we're not going to intervene quite yet. Yeah, so I just get that, I just get the yacht, yacht rock vibes off this one. Um, it's maybe my favorite yacht rock song, so the next time we do this segment, I'll have to think up something new. But uh, yeah, I just really love this song. It's like, you know, I like last time I think I did Ace, How Long by Ace, and those are my two favorite yacht rock songs but there's still some other good ones out there so there are yep we're coming at it from from different ends you you're with the looking glass and ace and i've been with crosby stills and nash and and now uh, mr jay ferguson with some joe walsh guitar in it so this is a big broad you know, broader than i thought looking into it at the beginning of yacht rock this is a segment that'll be able to go on and on just like Yacht Rock, and it goes on and on, and we're still listening to these uh, these same old songs that we've been listening to in our station wagons. And, and <laughs> you know that that song hits in the station wagon, and and El Camino's. You roll down your crank down your window, and let your mullet fly in the breeze. And it these these songs bring back you know those memories um, songs. And and it can make you nostalgic and reminisce, and and I know we, we're happy to do that here. Uh, we might have to if we if we come up with a couple more bangers for uh, for the yacht rock thing. We might have to try to find one that's not that's a yacht rock song that that would fit in the not category. But so far we're four for four on getting good uh, yacht rock songs. All right, yeah, definitely. I think I can. I think I'll be able to find one. Maybe I can find a disastrous one for next time that where we crashed crash the yacht <laughs> caddyshack in a in a future episode because that scene of, of caddyshack yeah <laughs> you scratch my anchor <laughs> when riding dangerfield drops his anchor through his boat and he's like you scratch yes. my anchor so well maybe go through viewer mail but the listener mail there might be someone in there requesting caddyshack long 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 overdue that should have been one of our first episodes So, Mike, when I was driving to 70s versus 80s World Headquarters today, I actually came in the South Employee Entrance, um, which I don't think anyone's been in there since the pandemic. I don't know if it's been plowed recently. Yeah, there's a mailbox there. And there were letters in there. So I, I grabbed them and brought them in. And the one that caught my eye the most was from uh, someone that said that they were signed it off as S. Clemens and said... Your, your podcast did a tremendous job of trying to figure out the best comedy stylings of Mel Brooks being the 70s versus the 80s and is appreciative of that, but thinks that there is a controversy that's been lingering for too long that needs to be settled and that we're the perfect podcast to do that because we compare things from the 70s versus the 80s. But then it was written on like really old looking paper and is barely could figure out the cursive and it wants us to figure out which decade, the 1870s or the 1880s, did Mark Twain books better? And so <laughs> I guess if we're the experts, we're going to have to dive into this. Yeah, we are called the 70s versus the 80s. I guess we didn't specify which century we're in. But Yeah, after this, we may very well have to say just the 1970s and 1980s. Um, I don't know how big of a Mark Twain fan you are. I've read uh, quite a few books. Uh, some of them are available now 
um, if you have a like an e-reader for free from the Gutenberg project, where uh, books that are no longer in copyright have been put into ebook format to read. So I have a, a list of some books from the 1870s and from the 1880s, and let's just dive in and, and compare them. All right, let's do this. Um, and I'm going to include The Innocents Abroad, which actually came out in 1869 as part of the 1870s books. Uh, it was a travel log. A, a newspaper or a magazine had actually paid for Mark Twain to go on a cruise of the Mediterranean and write articles about it, and then the articles were eventually compilated into a book. And it was an interesting uh, view of like tr- Americans traveling to 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 the you know different countries at at that time. The you know the ugly American rumors, not just being in this century or or the last century, but also in the uh, wow, in it the started 19th way back century. then, huh? <laughs> started way back then. I'm thinking based off the popularity of that. He wrote a book called Roughing It in 1872, which was his journey from all this time on the Mississippi River out to Nevada Territory, where his brother was something like the Secretary of State or Secretary of Treasury or something like that. And he writes a detailed, uh, like a travelogue, uh, a diary of sorts of the tr- of the trip from St. Louis or wherever he left uh, out to Nevada Territory. I've read it. It's a fascinating look at what real life conditions were back then. I mean, we try to, we do these, you see these Westerns set in this time, but it doesn't, it doesn't really give the, how difficult it was, you know, how easy we have it today. Yeah. Traveling was quite the, uh, before the highway system, freeway system, it was, it was a whole different ball game. Yeah. Yeah. It, it took my, I remember I'm a, a big fan of General Sherman and when he f- finished up at West Point and then his first uh, army, like, or he was transferred out to San Francisco and it took him something like six months to report to his post because they had to get on a boat and go all the way around the uh, Cape of, is it Cape of Good Hope down in, in South America? <laughs> so we now it's, you know, an airplane or it's just even a, a train or a cross country road trip just takes a couple of days. Uh, then his first political uh, like satire um, came out in the Gilded Age in 1873, which is a satire on political and financial corruption, which, you know, surprise, still happening today. <laughs> and then the last big one of that decade was Tom Sawyer, which is kind of uh, um, like his boyhood memories, kind of partially self or partially uh, autobiographical. Um, you, did you read that one in school? I did not read it in school. I kind of, actually, I've seen the movie uh, a billion times, and I read a little bit of the book. But I, I know that that seventies adaptation with the little redhead kid from the Sigmund and the Sea Monsters, and I think I believe he played Jody on. I think, it, yeah, he played that in that sixties show, A Family Affair, with Mister French, the butler, that little redhead kid. He played Tom Sawyer in the seventies adaptation. I seen it a bazillion times. It kind of scared me when they went in the caves and stuff. And yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's certainly um, we don't do, uh, we don't allow kids to do that anymore. <laughs> so now we're going to kind of go in. So that's the the seventies. So like when we did Mel Brooks, the seventies, his stuff was like, like uh, Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein, very strong. Uh, there's some good books in here, Tom Sawyer, The Gilded Age. But we're going to go on to the 1880s. 1880s started out with um, in 1880 he did. 
uh, A Tramp Abroad, which was another travelogue of of going to uh, around parts of Europe, and I think a lot of in Italy. Again, just it's an interesting. Uh, even in that time frame, right? The uh, Italian countryside was different than what what it would be now, or when you see travelogues um, or uh, shows set in in Italy. Um, but then that led into 1881 was the Prince and the Pauper, uh, a very interesting like premise for a book where it's twins that are separated and one gets to grow up with the you know life of luxury and one doesn't get all those advantages and how their lives change out different even though they're essentially the same um been tried to been made into movies i think there's even a a, like a like a barbie version of it trying to remember i think my daughter saw it i just i i didn't look into it that deep to remember i just knew that there was um some kind of cartoon version of it um didn't hit big as a book in the 1880s but it's 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 a concept that's you know, still relevant today, right? It, 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 your surroundings it goes a long way into determining how successful you'll be in later life. Yeah, there's been a ton of twin studies that it's interesting about twins. How if they when they grow up apart, how what are what's the similar and what's different? 1883 brought Life on the Mississippi, which was a uh, memories of his working time working on the. Mississippi River on on steamboats and uh, river river boats, and before he went out west to join his brother, and ended up becoming a a journalist and then an author and a essentially a stand up comic, right? So that's kind of you know it's 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 factual ba- memories of that, and it's again something that it's a it's a good look at how life was at that time working on the river, and then that leads us into 1885, kind of the sequel to. Tom Sawyer, and what many call the first great American novel of Huckleberry Finn, or The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Um, I know I read this one in school. I've read it since, um, but it's been a while because I've read a lot of these other Twain books uh, since then, um, so I don't. I haven't freshly read it. I know one of the critiques of it is that it, when it's kind of the blazing saddles of really leaning into the racism to prove the point of the racism that he kind of chickens out in the last like 30 or so pages and doesn't close the book like he should have. Did Hmm. you read Huck Finn for in school or after, after school? I read it like such a long time ago. That's the first time I've, I guess I have heard that criticism and then I forgot about it. Um, Yeah. I can first great American novel. That's a, that's a big deal. And well, and it's such a, uh, when I was looking for, Art to use for the for when you post this art episode. I was looking for a, a art art of Huck Finn, and there was a first edition book for sale, and it's for sale for like eighteen thousand five hundred dollars. Wow! So it's like it's it it means something to some people, right? Um, but it, I thought it was it was a great book when when I read it in school, and I know that it's one of those books that's been tempted to be banned often. But again, I think you need Ooh. to read it because you need to to see what the you know, what that what life was like to help show us how how far we've come. Uh, not saying that everything's better. We got still got distance to go, but at least we're we're on the path. And then we're going to end it up with one of my favorites: is a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court, which is like almost like a time travel travel thing theme, where then he's able to. Pr- become powerful and because he's able to 
predict things that will happen because it's he's gone back in time and it's kind of another telling of of how people can manipulate and persuade the powers that be so that's kind of my recap we had to figure out which which decade did it better with mark twain books the 1870s or the 1880s all right let me go first because i know you're more uh, you know more about this subject than me um so what i see it sounds like the 1870s is where he did all his I have to go back and read some of those travel logs. That sounds interesting. It sounds like that's when he did most of his traveling, and that's kind of mostly when it formed his work that it looks like he came out with in the 1880s. Um, I think Huck Finn is his, his big book, so I'll, I'll probably go the 1880s is big for me. I, I, Tom Sawyer was, like I said, I've seen the movie a billion times. It's really good for a young uh, young children, kind of a young story, and then I think Huck Finn is kind of the the gritty uh more adult version of that. Yeah. So I, I kind of prefer that now. Maybe when I was younger, I probably prefer, or I know I preferred Tom Sawyer when I was younger. Um, so that's my opinion. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I'm going to echo your opinion. Um, very much the 1880s. The Huck Finn is going to carry it. Everything else is interesting. The Innocence Abroad is a great travel log. Uh, Tramp Abroad is a great travel log. I like the 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 the, the um. The themes of the Prince and the Pauper and a Kinnikinnicky and King Arthur's Court. Um, so I'm going to think 1880s. Uh, and then just one other thing is he's one of a. F- I don't know who the other ones are, but he, I, I saw he's one of a few authors who have had new published best-selling volumes in the 19th, 20th, and 21st century. Because I think in 2010, it was 100 years after his death, he had written a bunch of uh, pages for an autobiography that was then published new. And I think I got that on, a, on an ebook and read it. Um, so I was contributed to that best selling of, uh, of a new book released in the 21st century. Wow. So he's kind of the Bob Dylan of the literature world, where he, <laughs> except he's doing centuries instead of decades. Yeah. Right. But that's a perfect analogy. So I thought we'd have a little bit of fun with this because we're talking about 1870s versus 1880s. How can that be relevant to today? Uh, so I've put together a little bracket of. Uh, Mark Twain quotes, and we're going to kind of do them off in like a, you know, we're going to go from the grade eight to the final four to the championship, and we're going to determine what's the most relevant to 2024 Mark Twain quote. So we're going to start in the wisdom bracket, talk quotes about wisdom. First quote is, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. And that's facing off against, it is better to keep your mouth shut and let people think you are a fool than to open it and remove all doubt. Wow. So which of those quotes is better for, for today, our, our 2024 world or our modern world? Those are both excellent. Um, I'm going to have to go with the first one, I think, because just it's so short and sincere and just really slams the point home. Well, and, and people certainly like to embellish on, on resumes and all that kind of stuff. So I that, for me, would be a coin toss. So we're going to go with yours of if you tell the truth. So I'm going to uh, pencil that into the next round of the bracket. So it's going to come up in the, in the final four. It's going to come up against the winning of the aging bracket. You know, we're now into, you know, us people that were kids and and teenagers in the 70s and 80s are starting to you know it hurts just to 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 wake up in the morning and get out of bed so the first quote is and this kind of makes me think of satchel page as well but obviously uh, mark twain came before satchel page (laughs) age 
is a matter of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. And that's going up against the only way to keep your health is to eat what you don't want, drink what you don't like, and do what you'd rather not. As someone who just went to the dentist today and has to cut back on the sugary, acidy drinks, uh, <laughs> this one hit home today. But I, th- I lean towards the first one. The age is a matter of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. Grow, grow old gracefully. Embrace it. Do what you can to get out and enjoy life. I think that's the motto of the 70s versus the 80s of podcasts. So let's go with that. All right. Moving on to the next bracket. The political bracket. Now, here at the 70s versus the 80s, while we don't shy away from controversy, we also don't uh, tend to really jump strongly into into politics. We believe that everyone's got their wide range of beliefs. They've came to them through their own experience and background, and, and they have the right to express them. Um, however, we're going to have some quotes about them because everyone can get mad about politics. So the first one is, honesty is the best policy when there is money in it. Uh, And that's going up against, suppose you were an idiot, and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. That second one, yeah, let's, uh, that's, I'm I'm 100% with the second one. Yeah. All right. And then, this is gonna be hard to believe, but I have uh, Mark Twain's advice for podcasters. Ooh. And this is, yeah, this is. It makes sense Mark Twain would have a podcast, everybody has a podcast, so. Yes, he totally would have had a podcast in the day. So the first one about podcasting is, it usually takes me more than three weeks to prepare a good impromptu speech, which goes off of how much time it takes to prepare, prepare for a good podcast, <laughs> or, or what we do for this one, which is neither good or prepare for. <laughs> Correct. Or number two is, I can live for two months on a good compliment. Because when someone gives us a compliment on the show or they like what we're doing, it, it makes me happy for two months. I like that one because we don't, everybody focuses on the negative, but when you get a good compliment, that's the best. Perfect. All right. So now we're going to go, we're going to go to the win, winner of the wisdom bracket versus the winner of the aging bracket for see who's going to go to the finals. And it's the, if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything versus age is a matter of mind over matter. If you don't mind, it doesn't matter. I like if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. That's All right. We have the finalist. And then we're going to move on. We'll move on now to uh, the, the political bracket and the podcasting advice bracket. And it's the suppose you were an idiot and suppose you were a member of Congress. But I repeat myself, up against I can live for two months on a good compliment. Ooh, I like I like the suppose I'm an idiot or member of Congress. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I, that's that for the, that's t- I think that's timeless. I think that'll also be relevant in 2124 or 20 yeah. 2170. <laughs> All right, so our final is if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything versus suppose you were an idiot and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself and those are kind of related as well. If you tell the truth, you don't have to remember anything. Um, I'm, I'm yeah. all on the suppose you were an idiot uh, and suppose you're a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. That's just so well-crafted and so timeless. It's like the Pac-Man or Space Invaders of video games. Yeah. yeah, I like them both so much, but let's go with that. I think that's got the slight edge. All right, so the 70 versus the 80s podcast has come down on some verdicts with Mark Twain. 
And Mark Twain in the 1880s did it better than Mark Twain in the 1870s. And the Mark Twain quote that is most relevant today is, suppose you were an idiot and suppose you were a member of Congress, but I repeat myself. All right, the 80s beat the 70s here finally on the 70s yeah. versus the 80s. All well, right. I even there's a there's a couple of them too that I, I left out that I I but I really love like golf is a good walk spoiled, and then my one that I I always miss remembered it as something else, but it's I didn't attend the funeral, but I sent a nice letter saying I approved of it. There were other letters in there that I think that as we have if we have some time to to fill in some of these upcoming episodes that I will also read and. Uh, get you know, get some answers, get some 70s versus 80s podcast uh, answers to them to keep the people that are mailing in letters happy. And that's it for another episode of the 70s versus the 80s. Keep it classy, my fellow babies. As someone who's who's um, mullet challenged and now just hair challenged, um, I, I don't understand what you're saying about mullet and hair and gl- glorious Wait, flowing not hair. Not having any hair never stopped David Crosby from having a mullet. Let's let's face it. <laughs>